something. Fortnite's going to work this time, I promise. Okay, grab your Bibles. Let's get ready to dive into Joshua for the last time. We're going to wrap up our Bible study on the book of Joshua. This is our, I, I looked at um, the lessons. This is actually our 13th lesson in Joshua. So we're going to wrap it up tonight. We've been in here since January. So I know, this is crazy, right? You guys have been so good and attentive and patient. Great job. Hopefully learning stuff. So what do you say again? That's all you care about. Six more <laughs> weeks of school. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do this really quick for you, for all you guys who have been here since January, and for those of you who haven't, before we can wrap up this study and look at the last chapter, I'm just going to do a very quick run-through of everything that we've seen so far, because we basically just went chapter by chapter. So, we have seen, when we started the book of Joshua, that the nation of Israel as a whole is a picture of whom? Somebody tell me. Just yell it out. The nation of Israel as a whole is a picture of the Christian, right? The New Testament believer, you and I, the individual believer, is pictured by the nation of Israel as a whole. Okay, And that's why we can learn some awesome things from them in the Old Testament as we see their ups and downs and as they learn to obey God and as they disobey God, what happens. We can learn really good lessons from that. Crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land, which is, all, which is what Joshua is all about, pictures for us going into and growing into spiritual maturity as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's, it's our growth in him. And it's as we cross the Jordan River, it's crossing a boundary that goes from us wandering in the wilderness and actually taking our faith seriously and going into the promised land where we're fighting battles, we're learning how to reproduce sons of God through evangelism, and we're growing in our faith so that we can feed ourselves. All throughout the Old Testament, God fed the nation of Israel by doing what? Anybody? Ty, what do you do? <laughs> he rained bread from the sky. You're my brother. You should know these things. I've been your youth pastor since you were like 12. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> God <laughs> rained bread from the sky. It was called manna, and he fed them through the wilderness. But when they got into the promised land, the manna stopped. God stopped feeding them because they were going to feed themselves in the promised land. That's a, that's a part of becoming spiritually mature. You don't need someone to spoon feed you anymore from God's word. You can go to God's word and you can learn and grow from it. And Joshua leading Israel into the promised land, Joshua is a picture of Christ, right? Because Moses, who's a picture of the law, couldn't do it. Moses died before they went into the promised land. Only Jesus, who's a picture of Christ, can take you to spiritual maturity. So, a very quick rundown. Chapter 1, we saw that the journey will require strength and courage. If you remember that, that was like the first or second lesson that we did. We also saw at the end of chapter 1 that we shouldn't settle for less than God's best. Remember, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh all settled for less than God's best and asked for an inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. Even though they were crossing over to help their brothers fight for their inheritance, they wanted less than God's best because they thought, from their view, that it looked better. But God has better things for us, so don't settle for less than God's best, right? Chapter 2, we saw Rahab's faith. Remember learning about Rahab, right? We saw her faith, and when the spies came to spy out the land of Jericho, she believed in the God of Israel and what he was going to do, and she asked to be saved, literally saved from being destroyed in judgment with the rest of the city, and God spared her because of her faith. In chapter 3, we saw how to cross the Jordan River, 
Um, and, and if you remember that, we saw that the nation of Israel, they sanctified themselves, they heard God's word, and they followed Christ across because the, the Levites, the priests, carried what we call the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, which represented God's presence. They carried that across the Jordan, and they followed. And if you want to cross the Jordan into spiritual maturity, you have to sanctify yourself, set yourself apart, hear God's word, and follow him across. That's what we saw in chapter 3. In chapter 4, we saw how a pile of stones can serve as a reminder for what God has done in our lives. Chapter 5, we saw what we call in the church world a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, which just means pre-before incarnate flesh. is just a, a, an appearance of Christ before he came in the flesh before he died on the cross. So Christ shows up on the scene, and he shows up in full battle gear, and he calls himself the commander of the Lord's host. He comes in as the leader of God's army, and, and uh, Joshua goes up to him, and he, he doesn't know who he is. He says, hey, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our enemies? And you remember what he says? Nope. <laughs> he doesn't give an answer. He, does, he says, no, I'm for me. Who are you for, essentially? So we saw, okay, who's your general? As you go into battle, as you fight these battles in your life, who's calling the shots? Is it Jesus or is it you? Because when we call the shots and when we fight in our own power, we fail. But when we follow Jesus into battle, you know what we do? We get victory. Just like we saw going into chapter 6 when they conquered Jericho. And God had a strange battle plan, a strange strategy for conquering Jericho. He had them walk around it for a couple days. And then eventually the walls fell down when they blew some trumpets and yelled. Not one of man's typical battle strategies, and I've played Fortnite for a couple months now. I've never used that strategy. We should, <laughs> we should, we should try that, Mitch. Maybe we can knock some forts down. <laughs> but, but they conquered Jericho following God and using his strategy. They followed his lead, and they conquered Jericho. And we saw that if you want to conquer your Jericho, whatever it is in your life that is hindering you, that is keeping you from getting from where you are to where God wants you to be, then you need to follow God into battle, and you need to let him lead you. And then in chapter 7, we saw even when you have victory, if you have hidden sin in the camp, you can't expect to get more victory, right? Because after Jericho, they had specific instructions to not take from the stuff in Jericho. God said, it's cursed. It's not for you. That's just for me. Everything else in the, in the other battles, you can take for spoils, but this is not for you. And then there's this guy named Achan. Right? He took some stuff, he hid it in his tent, there was hidden sin in the camp. And what did they do? They went up to Ai, a much smaller enemy than Jericho, much smaller enemy than Jericho. They underestimated the enemy, they had hidden sin in the camp, and they failed. They lost, they were defeated. And so we saw that, listen, you can't expect to go into battle against an enemy in your life with hidden sin in the camp. Why can't I conquer this lust problem that I have? Why can't I conquer this anger problem, this sin issue, whatever it may be? Maybe you're taking hidden sin into the camp and expecting to go out and battle and win. How can you really expect to battle the flesh if you're still retaining hidden sin? You're going to lose. You've got to find that sin out just like Joshua and Israel did. And they got right with God. And in chapter 8, we saw that Joshua and Israel, they repent of that sin. They go and find it. They find Achan and the hidden sin, and they, you know what they did? They completely and utterly destroyed it. They stoned him with stones and all his possessions and all of his family and all of his cattle, and they burnt it with fire, and they left a pile of stones there. They're like, we're not playing around with this sin thing. God doesn't play around with sin. And we saw in chapter 8 when they did that, when they repented and got right with God, that you can have victory after defeat. Even if you 
had defeat because of your own doing, your own hidden sin, God says, listen, if you'll get right with me, I'm not going to hold it against you. Just repent. Get it right. Get back to doing what you know to do, and let's get back in the battle. And they start following God again, and then they beat AI, the same people that just defeated them. So we can have victory after defeat. Chapter 9, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that after you get a couple victories under your belt in the promised land, the enemy isn't stupid. He's smart. So he's going to change his clothes and come at you a little differently to see if he can fool you. And so we said, don't make a deal with the flesh. Don't make a deal with the enemy. Because we saw these guys called the Gibeonites, right, who came in and they put on hobo clothes they made it look like they came from a faraway country. They had old wine and, and moldy bread and old clothes. And they said, we're from really far away. Just don't kill us. Make a league with us. Make a deal. We, we don't want you to hurt us. And they're like, okay. They didn't consult with God. They didn't ask God. Turns out, it's their neighbors. <laughs> it's a three days hike away from them. They made a deal with the enemy. And now that enemy is going to be a thorn in their side for a long time. Don't make a deal with the flesh because when you've got the flesh up on the ropes, you're following God, you're pursuing the Lord, you're, you're getting victories, you know what? The flesh is going to go into survival mode and it's going to say, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, just let me live. You remember what Gibeon said? We'll be your slaves. Remember that? You can have us as your slaves. We'll work for you. You know what? The flesh would love you to think that you can control it, <laughs> that, that you will be its master. But you know what? The flesh will just lay low for a little bit and then whenever you've kind of forgot about completely and utterly destroying the enemy, it'll take control in your life again. That's why God is always saying, utterly destroy the enemies. Don't leave them there because they'll gain control of you. And then after that mess up, Israel finally figures it out. They have some ups and downs. Ups in Jericho, downs in AI, ups in AI, downs with Gibeon. But they finally, after some struggles, they figure it out. And they start to get it right, and they're following God. And then last week we saw in chapters 10, 11, and 12 that what follows, the results of following God, is you can get victories. We saw that they rattled off victory after victory after victory. They took on mega armies. And they took on like 31 kings, chapter 12, lists that they wiped out because they're following God. And when you follow God and you actually do what he says and you learn from your mistakes, you can get victory. That's the end goal. That's where we're trying to get to. And then eventually it says that they got rest. The land rested for more. Listen, Christian, if you've been battling your flesh and battling the temptations and the enemies of you and that are in this world, if you will simply pursue God, it's not easy. It takes work. It's not, it's not easy. It's hard. But if you pursue God and you battle the enemies and you learn from your mistakes and you give God the glory, guess what? You too can have victories and eventually you can get rest. That's what we saw last week from Israel's example. And that got us to chapter 12 and that's halfway through the book of Joshua. The next half of the book of Joshua, we're not going to break down chapter by chapter. You can read it on your own. The summary of it, the fly-by summary is that after they've defeated most of these enemies now, God is going to divide the inheritance of the promised land to, to, to the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? The 12 tribes are going to get an inheritance that God promised them in the promised land. That's what the last 12 chapters are about. There's a few stories mixed in, but if we went chapter by chapter, it'd be a lot of, this was their territory, this was their territory. That's what a lot of it is. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to go to the end of the book, chapter 23 and 24, and see what Joshua's final words are to Israel as he approaches the ends of his life. 
Because what he's going to do is wrap up the book of Joshua with four key things that he wants Israel to remember after he dies. Four key things that he has taken away from all the ups and the downs, the victories and the defeats, the failures and the successes of the book of Joshua. And so I want us to see those tonight as we close. But before we do that, before we get to chapter 23 and 24, because there's so much good stuff in between, I just want to give you one quick thing. I want, one quick thing I want to show you that I don't want to skip by, because for those of you who have been Christians for a while, or going to this church for a while, or just really like to study your Bible, this is going to be a, a really cool nugget for you that maybe you haven't understood before. And even if you haven't, man, pay attention. This is just, it's just proof of how awesome God's Word is, okay? So what I want to do before um, we get to this stuff is look at Joshua, the end of Joshua 13, if you want to turn there. Joshua 13. We're going to look at the last verse, because in Joshua 13, God's going to begin to divide the inheritances to the tribes. He mentions and reminds us that Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're going to get their inheritance that they wanted on the other side of the Jordan. Remember, if you settle for less than God's best, he'll give you what you want. He's not going to twist your arm into taking his best. So he he says, hey, that was the deal. You kept up your end, and so that's what you get. But I want to take a quick look at this last verse because we're going to see a quick look at the Levites, the tribe of Levi, the Levites. I, I want you to see Joshua thirteen thirty three. It says, as he's beginning to divvy out the inheritances, but unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Moses, before he died, was telling them about their inheritances. And as Joshua is getting to the inheritances, he reminds them, and God reminds us, that Moses didn't give Levi inheritance. Did you know that? Did you know that Levi wasn't given any land to be theirs? And actually, you can read later, if we skip over to uh, Joshua 14 and verse 4, that each tribe who got a land inheritance had to give a a couple cities for Levites to live in. So Levites would live in all the tribes, in a couple cities. Look at, look at that, uh, verse 4 of the next chapter. It says, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. So, so the Levites were going to dwell in specific cities that each tribe would designate for them. So, so here's what I, pose, what I want to pose to you. This is something I didn't truly understand until I was a young adult and just started doing the study. Have you ever wondered what the 12 tribes of Israel are? Maybe you haven't, and now I'm just going to confuse you. You're going to be like, wow, I never thought about that. Maybe you have and always wondered what was going on there. Because what are the 12 tribes of Israel? They're the 12 sons of Israel, right? Of Israel was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed. And the 12 sons of Israel are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those are the 12 sons of Israel from oldest to youngest, okay? I named, I'm, we're naming our son Judah. I tried to get Ben to pick one of the cool ones like Issachar or Zebulun, but he settled with Ezra, which is still pretty cool. But maybe we'll just go through all the 12 tribes. Maybe that's what we'll do. So, so let me ask you, as I rattled that list off, did anybody notice something missing? What about Manasseh and Ephraim? What about those guys? Those, aren't, those weren't in the twelve. But those are tribes in the list in Joshua we've talked about. So are there, are there 14 tribes of Israel? Does the Bible contradict itself, or does it just not know how to count? 
<laughs> right? Like, what's, what's the deal with the tribes of Israel? So this is really cool. Does anyone remember, maybe a gamble will remember. I'm not going back to Ty anymore because he disappointed me. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's okay. Listen, if you were a youth pastor's brother, you'd be getting it too, but it's just you. So, anybody remember who Manasseh and Ephraim are, the people? Anyone remember? Come on, Gamble. Who are they? You got this. Who are they? Yes, they're the sons of Joseph. We actually, we just read that in Joshua 4. <laughs> okay, or Joshua 14, verse 4. Ephraim and Manasseh were two sons of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Israel. They were Joseph's sons that he had in Egypt. In Ezekiel 47 and verse 13, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, this shall be the border, whereby ye shall inherit the land according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. He had two sons. And when God talks about inheritances in the Bible, the twelve tribes are Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin. He doesn't say Joseph. Joseph is split into two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he leaves out Levi, because Levi didn't get an inheritance. They lived within the other tribes. Oh, that's kind of interesting. But when he talks about the, the sons, the families, the 12 tribes, he includes Levi, and he says, Joseph, there's always 12. So Joseph is Ephraim and Manasseh. Levi is left out when he's talking about the inheritances, because they didn't get one. Oh, whoop-de-doo, who cares? Well, here's the thing. This is what's important. This is why I want you to see this. Because Joshua 13, 33 says that Levi didn't get an inheritance. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. So, who were the Levites? The Levites, in the Old Testament, they were the priests. They were the ones who did the sacrifices. And they kept the temple. And when they were in the, in the wilderness, they would be uh, in charge of the tabernacle and tearing down that tent and taking it with them. They were uh, instructed on how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And they were the ones who carried it. They were the only ones allowed to carry it. They were the ones who had special responsibilities to keep God's law, the written law, and to help people understand it. The priests had significant responsibilities with God and the temple and the tabernacle and the ark and the scripture the, the priests were really important because they ministered to God for Israel and vice versa the priests were really important and that was Levi Deuteronomy 21 tells us that that the priests the sons of Levi shall come near for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him and to bless in the name of the Lord and by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried so, so the Levites had key responsibilities because they were the priests Anyone who was ever a priest in the Old Testament was a Levite. Moses was a Levite. Aaron, his brother, was a Levite. They were all the priests. That was really important. Okay? Now check this out. Because in the New Testament, in 1 Peter in chapter 2, Peter is going to talk to you, New Testament believer, and he's going to tell you something really significant. He's going to say in verse 9 that ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
If you're saved, if you have a relationship with Christ, he called you out of the darkness and into his light, and he has made you a son or daughter of God. And what happened when he did that is he not only made you a son of God, but he made you a part of his family, and he made you a part of a royal priesthood. See, we don't have priests nowadays, not at least in biblical Christianity. We don't have priests because in the Old Testament, the priests had a specific job to do when God was separated from man by a thick veil, by sin. But when Jesus came and he tore the veil by dying on Calvary and paying for our sin, guess what? When you get saved, you're in the priesthood. New Testament believers, we're priests like the Levites. And what's really cool about that is because the nation of Israel as a whole is a picture of the individual believer. But the Levites, the priesthood, the, the, the children, the tribe of Levi is an even better type. They're even more so. They're an even better picture because they didn't have an earthly inheritance. They weren't given an earthly inheritance. Their inheritance was God. And just like that, believer, you don't have an earthly reward, right? God doesn't promise you riches and fame and power and money when you get saved. He actually promises you the opposite. He promises you that the world will be against you and there will be tribulation and temptation and things will be hard, but we go through it because we're promised an eternal reward. We have a heavenly inheritance just like the Levites. Our inheritance isn't earthly. It's God. What an amazing picture. I didn't want to just skip over that. I wanted you to see that awesome picture because in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 1, Paul tells us that if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He says, listen, seek the heavenly things. Don't seek the earthly things. The things that Matthew 6 says that moth doth corrupt and rust doth corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Don't seek those things. Put your affection on things above. Seek the heavenly inheritance. The eternal life that God has given you, Christian. Because verse 24 says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. Isn't that awesome? Our treasure and our reward is not in this life or on this earth. Like the Levites, our inheritance is God. Isn't that amazing? All right, let's get into, and this, honestly, this is a quick message tonight. It's not incredibly deep. That's why I wanted to share the Levites thing with you. But, but Joshua has four things for us tonight from uh, chapter 23 and 24 to leave with us at the end of his life. And in chapter 23 and verse 1, it says that it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. So Joshua was coming to the end of his life, right? And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I'm old and stricken in age, and you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations. Because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. So Joshua says, look, listen, think about all the things that God has done for us in my lifetime and, and even since we've come across the Jordan River. Here's some things that Joshua's gonna leave for them and things I want you to see. Number one, be ye doers of the word. Be doers of the word. In verse six, he says, be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. He says, keep and do all that is in the law. What, what does that sound like? Do you guys remember in the first week 
what God was telling Joshua to do as he was taking the reins from Moses. God told him in Joshua 1 and verse 7, Be strong and courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. God told Joshua that, and Joshua said, Guys, that's important. (laughs) You need to do that too. Because in verse 8 of Joshua 1, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That is key. And Joshua says that has been the key. When we've been in the victories, that's what we were doing. When we were in the defeats and the failures, we weren't doing that. So d- be doers of the word. That's a New Testament principle too. James 1.22 says to be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And so to be a doer of the word assumes that you know what God's word says. And if you know what God's word says, that assumes that you have read God's word. So guys, can I just tell you from the book of Joshua, we need to read God's word. We need to seek it daily. We need to keep it. We need to seek to do it because then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Joshua tells us we need to seek to be doers of the word. We need to obey what God is telling us to do, and if you do that, it will help you with the next bit of advice, which number two says, stay away from false gods. Stay away from false gods. We saw that all throughout the book of Joshua, and even back when we did our study on Sunday mornings of, uh, what do we call that, uh, Israel's example, and we looked through Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus, we saw that God always is saying, stay away from false gods. Or in other words, stay away from idolatry. In verse 7 and 8, Joshua 23, Joshua says that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, Neither make mention of the name of their gods, small g, by the way, nor cause to swear by them. Neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. But, what's he say? Cleave unto the Lord your God, as you have done unto this day. Cleave means to stick, or adhere to, to to hold to, to hold on to. So he says, hold on to God. Stick to him. Adhere to God. Don't go after these false gods of the land. That's idolatry. That's spiritual fornication. That's cheating on the Lord, your God. And what we've seen all throughout this, and I always tell you guys, is that physical fornication leads to spiritual fornication every time. That's why God said don't mix Mary with all of these pagan nations because these women who worship false gods will turn your hearts from the true God. Physical fornication leads to spiritual fornication every time. That is the background to don't be unequally yoked. It's not just that God's a party pooper. He's saying, listen, spiritual or physical idolatry turns into spiritual idolatry every time. And idolatry, in Israel's case, always leads to judgment. Every time, God has to spank his kids every time they start worshiping false gods. So I just want you to think about this tonight. Is there anything in your life that you worship above God? Because you need to get a handle on that, Christian. You might not be bowing down to actual graven images, but is there anything in your life that you hold above God? And I'm sure if you're anything like me and everyone else in the world, there are. So think about it. Is it your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Do you hold that? Do you worship them without even maybe realizing it above God? Is it your phone? I mean, think about it. We take so much stock in our likes and our retweets, and you know what? That even validates us at times. But is that more important than who God is? 
Is it money? Maybe you're not old enough yet, but maybe some of you have gotten to this point. Think about it. Maybe your dreams and aspirations of your future career or financial stability, maybe that takes precedence above God. Remember, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's what? The love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when it's an idol. It's when you worship it. Is it other possessions that you have? I don't know. Xbox, whatever. That's an easy one to pick on. I like Xbox, but don't worship it. Is, maybe it's sports or school activities. Maybe those are way more important to you because you get to excel in that thing and people see you and lift you up. Maybe that's more important to you than God and learning from his word. I don't know. I want you to notice, though, none of those things I mention, none of those things are evil in and of themselves. They aren't. None of them are bad, and I'm not condemning them. But worshiping them, loving them more than loving God, is idolatry. None of those things are evil in and of themselves. Well, maybe except your phone. Maybe that's evil. But, man, when you set anything above God, you're in for a world of hurt, Christian. Because you've got to put God first in your life. You're going to see yourself down a path of failure and defeat. Joshua says, cleave unto God. Stick to him. Don't let go of God to grab onto the gods of this world. The world, lost people worship those things. That's the last thing we should worship as Christians, right? Which will lead us to Joshua's next point. Because when you cleave unto God and you remember who he is and what he's done for you, it'll do number three. It'll help you to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. All of these things that we're going to see tonight, they're not difficult. They're not complicated. They're not hard. That's why we're kind of going through them rapid fire. But what he does is he ties a bow on the entire book of Joshua by saying, man, do these four things and run with it. And you'll have a successful life. In verse 11 of Joshua 23, I don't know why my phone's making so many noise tonight. My bad. Verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. That's one of his keys. Take heed. Don't miss this one. Love the Lord your God. Because loving God, it's, it's not just this ceremonious thing that you do. It's not just this thing that you, it's your duty or your responsibility. It's that, man, I love who God is. I love him for what he's done for me. I love him for, for how good he is. And I hate evil things because God is good. Psalm 97.10 says that ye, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Because if you love something, you're going to have to hate things that come against it. I love my wife, therefore I hate anything that tries to hurt her. Love and hate, they're mutually exclusive. So if you love something, you're going to hate things that come against it. And if you love God, you're going to hate evil. doesn't mean you hate the people who do evil. We're trying to win those for Christ. But if you love God, that means you love righteousness. You love his holiness. And you're going to hate evil. You're not going to cling to that. You're not going to cling to false gods. You're going to hate idolatry, and you're going to hate sin. But let's think about it this way. Let's not harp on that. Let's think about this really quickly. Why should we love God? Why, and can I give you, Christian, just a few, like three things? There's so many more reasons, but that's its own sermon. Three quick reasons why you should love God. If you're a Christian today, think about these. Number one, he loved you first. Man, 1 John 4 says that we love him because he first loved us. Man, when we were lost and dirty, wretched sinners, he looked out and saw you and loved you and died on the cross for you. And that's what the next point says, is that he proved his love by dying for you. He proved it. He didn't just say it. He put it to action. Because Romans 5, 8 says that God commendeth, or he proved his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, 
Christ didn't just die for his friend. Man, maybe some of you would think, well, I really love my family, so if I had to, I'd take a bullet for them. Or I really love so-and-so, so I'd take it. Man, Christ was our enemy because we were sinners. We were separated from him, and he died for you. He didn't just say he loved you first. He proved it by dying on the cross, even though we didn't deserve it. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. You can write your own name in there. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Man, that's an amazing thing. I'll give you one more. If you're a Christian today, he made you alive. He made you alive. You were dead in your sins. Ephesians chapter two tells us that you hath he quickened. Old English word for made alive, right? who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He made us alive, for by grace are you saved. Christian, that's what he did for you. So man, we need to love him. We need to seek to do what Joshua says and to cleave unto God and to love the Lord. Those are just a few of the reasons, if you're saved, that you should love him. But can I just mention, by the way, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, those are the three reasons why you should love him too. Because he'll do all of those things for you if you'll let him. You know, he loved you right now even though you might not love him. Did you know that? Did you know that he proved his love by dying for you? He sent his only begotten son to die in your place even though your sins separate you from God and you're doomed for an eternity in hell separated from him. He proved his love by sending his son to die for you in your place so that you don't have to. And you know what he's willing to do? He's willing to use that to make you alive even though you're dead in your sins and to quicken you, to make you alive together with his son, and to pull you out of your sins and your desperateness and your hopelessness. He's willing to do that for you. Can I just ask you, would you be willing to cry out to him tonight and give him your life so that you can have eternal life? Let's keep going. Here's the last thing I want us to see that Joshua tells us. The last thing that Joshua's gonna leave Israel with, and if we, we have to jump over to chapter 24 to see this. In verses 14 and 15, he tells us that we need to choose a side today. Choose your side today. Verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, Joshua's preaching. <laughs> He's saying, listen, if you're gonna serve those false gods that your fathers served back in Egypt or if you're gonna serve the false gods that, that, that your enemies who live beside you serve, I don't care But for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. You need to pick. He says, quit straddling the fence. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let's quit playing church. Pick, are you in or are you out? And you can read the rest of the chapter and they say, we're in, man. He says, you're not in. I actually like that passage. We didn't have time to get into it. He says, no, you're not in. You won't do it. And he said, no, we will. He says, all right. 
You're your own witness. But let me just tell you, Christian, don't straddle the fence. Don't be lukewarm like the rest of the world around you. Pick a side tonight. Are you gonna take this Jesus thing seriously? Or are you gonna ditch it when you, go to, when you go off to college and just be like the rest of the world? I don't, you know what? I do care. But you know what Joshua is saying? He says, I'd rather you pick one or the other than be a lukewarm Christian that Revelation 3 says God wants to spew out of his mouth. Pick a side and, and do it. Go for it all the way. Christians, are you going to serve God or are you going to continue to serve your flesh? Pick tonight. Don't serve those gods from the Red Sea in Egypt. Remember before you were saved? Quit serving those and serve God. Choose to serve God who delivered you from sin. And you know what? If you don't know Christ tonight as your Savior, maybe it's the first time you've ever been here. I'm sorry if, I feel, if it feels like I'm getting hot and whatever. I, I'm sorry. But man, Maybe you've heard the gospel before. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks. Maybe you've been in church and you've just never decided to own it and make your faith your own. It's just your parents' faith. Can I just encourage you today? What? Man, just pick. Do you want in or not? Jesus offers you his eternal life in exchange for your, your temporal life, your life that leaves you with nothing but hopelessness. And, and maybe you're not old enough to see that you can't fill that hole in your heart. Maybe you've done enough things, tried and failed enough to see that you to know that you can't. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing that can fill that void in your life except Christ, and he offers it to you free of charge. He offers it to you for free because he paid for your eternal life with his son's life on the cross. And if you want it, all you gotta do is ask. The Bible says you just gotta repent and confess and believe in your heart, man. You can do that tonight. Why wouldn't you want in on that deal? Why wouldn't you want in on that deal? These are the last words that Joshua leaves Israel with. He says, man, you gotta choose. After everything we've seen, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, man, whose side are you on? Quit straddling the fence, man. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So those are the four things that tie a bow on our study of the book of Joshua. Be doers of the word. Stay away from false gods. Love God and choose your side. Be all in. And you know what? If you're not a Christian today, man, just think about what we've been seeing tonight. Why wouldn't you want in on this deal? Let's bow our heads and before we pray here, as the worship team's coming up, I just want, man, I just want to ask you, where are you at tonight? Where are you at tonight? We're going to wrap up here really shortly. You guys have been hanging with me really good. But man, just bow your heads and I just want you to think about, if you're saved tonight and you've just been kind of doing the lukewarm high school Christian teenager thing, some days you feel like living for Jesus. Other days you feel like doing what your friends around you are doing. Man, will you just choose tonight to just be all in? Who cares what the world thinks, man? I only care about what Jesus thinks. That's what Josh, at the end of Joshua's life, the last thing he left him with is, listen, man, you gotta pick. So man, if, if you're in here tonight and you're a Christian, nobody's looking around, and you just, and, and man, you would just be willing to admit, I, you know what, man, I've been straddling the fence and I just wanna, I want to get it right tonight, and I want to give it all to God, and I just want to be all in. Man, when you just put your hand up real quick and put it back down, I just want to see, and I just want to pray for you. I've just, I've been living in my flesh, and I just need to be all in for God. Awesome. And man, if, man, if you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, man, can I just tell you, it is the best deal you could ever make. And I want to just ask you, please, if you have questions or you don't know what to do with this, will you please grab me before you leave tonight? Don't leave here without knowing how you can have a relationship with Christ and knowing for sure that whenever it is that you die, you can live forever in heaven with Christ. 
forever. It's eternal life that he offers you. Don't leave here tonight without at least getting more info on that deal. Why would you at least, why, why wouldn't you at least search it out and find out the details? God, we come to you tonight. Thank you so much for the book of Joshua. I've learned so much from your word in studying this, and I hope these guys have too. I just pray, God, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we would apply this to our lives and that we would seek to live for you in all that we do. Father, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.